three, two, one. Welcome this to podcast the podcast. the podcast that runs experiments, explores new ways of thinking, which is and talks my to the most own interesting people that I've met. It's the place the where I share all the cool Today, things that I am I've honored to have week with my friends around William the world. Bagelson, I share the books, podcasts, the University of Texas people I find that help me enjoy life more. Are you going to have to help me out with this word? As I travel the world, I also share my favorite adventure spots, the restaurants that blow my mind, and how my engineering has changed. Where he teaches professional communication to electrical and computer engineers. It comes out only once a week. And it's bachelor's only degree available at Stanford University and went on to you can sign up using the link in this episode's show notes or by using Austin. the link in my Instagram Dr. bio. Dr. Figgelson has Let's led three learning. study abroad programs in the past to Spain. This summer, he plans on leading his fourth study abroad program titled Engineering Communication in Copenhagen, Denmark. Dr. Figgelson, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, that that is correct, right? I I, I don't know why I, I, um, <laughs> I thought I got it wrong. Three study abroad programs in Spain, right? Yes, three. Twice in Barcelona, once in Santander. Gotcha, gotcha. And we'll get to those. But before that, I want because I don't know you, um, and you don't know me, but I wanted to ask you, uh, when you were 13 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was 13, yeah. I went through a lot of different things. I think maybe at that point, I wanted to be a genetic engineer. Um, wow. I, I had my mom's cousin had just... He was one of these guys who had um, had gone to college, I think, but then had sort of dropped out in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And then at some point spent a long time just, um, uh, I think he worked for the post office. He did some other things. And then he mm-hmm. went back to school to, I want to say to MIT, I can't remember now, um, to get it to get an advanced degree in in that and i just thought it was the most interesting interesting thing especially because when i was that age i was more of a i mean i got my degree in liberal arts but i was more of a math person um in high school so yeah that was one of the things i know i wanted to be probably at some point an astronaut because i was interested in space but so you were you were you were definitely going to go into the stem field that's what I thought. It's not what I ended up doing. <laughs> I mean, I did yeah. get come back here, but yeah, that's what I thought. What, what ended up changing? Um, how, why did you change? Uh, I got to college and two things, neither of which was all that rational. Um, well, one was <laughs> rational and one was irrational. The The rational one was I took, um, I took a government class or it was political science where I was um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And thought I want to do more of this. And so I wanted to explore something different. Um, not that I hadn't taken classes obviously in high school, but that had never been the thing that really interested me as much. And so I really got into that. And then the other side, the irrational part that I actually kind of regret was I thought to myself, I really like math, but I really like the more abstract parts of it. And I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Mm. So I'll just make a switch. Um, I mean, in, again, my very rational way, I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do with a math degree? I could just go teach, but that's not what I think I want to do with myself. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, I just kind of dropped math and moved on to other things. And I wish I'd stuck with math. That's the only thing. But I do, I do, I'm happy with what I studied. I just wish I hadn't abandoned math because I really did enjoy that. Oh, and and was that um, was that a difficult decision to make? Um, because a, a lot of people do struggle with changing, um, and so I wonder how you came about that decision, like to make it the leap. Sh- it should have been more difficult than it was. Gotcha. Uh, my my parents were actually 
pretty okay with it. They've always been pretty good about letting us make our decisions for ourselves, sometimes too much so. But I know I had an uncle who pulled me aside and said, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you sticking with it? Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't even that hard because, and some of it has to do with just, I am, um, a couple of things about me is, one is I like to learn. That's how I ended up in graduate school, I think. So for me, it was just an opportunity to learn something new that I didn't know as well. Um, and so I was excited to just do something different. The other part of it that I've learned about myself over the years is that I'm more of a generalist than a specialist, which is what makes it odd that I got a PhD. But I I kind of find things that I'm interested in. I learn enough about them to feel like I've got a good handle on it. And then I get interested in something new. And I think that probably was part of it. Gotcha. Yeah. Did, do you think you're a, cause I've, sometimes I wonder if I should have uh, studied philosophy. Cause I feel like I, I, I like um, questioning a lot of things and figuring, figuring out how things work. I don't know if that's what philosophy was, but um, what I, from what I've heard is that they teach you how to think. Um, yeah, it can be actually, actually my degree is, um, is not in philosophy. It's PhD, but it's actually in American studies. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I didn't oh study God. philosophy. I do now teach, have to teach ethics a little bit. So there's philosophy in that, although I'm sure any philosophy major would tell me I'm not really teaching philosophy <laughs> the way I do it. But um, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't study philosophy. I studied American studies, which is interdisciplinary. And I mostly was focused on uh, historical perspective. So it's kind of American history, but cultural history and intellectual history. Gotcha. You, you mentioned learning. How do you, when you, when you want to learn something new, is there like a specific like structure that you have for your learning process, like specific to you that you've um, covered? I don't know if it's specific to me. I just start doing research and then trying things. Um, so I will, I'll look things up, read about them, uh, and then try to do them. I mean, I guess it depends what I'm learning, but try to comprehend them. And then, and then like when I teach, sometimes I have to learn things to teach yeah. because something new comes up and I think, okay, I've got to figure out how to talk about this. So I'll do my research. I'll look at it. I'll read about it and try to put the pieces together myself and fit it into what I already know, I guess is mostly what I do. The other type of learning, what I think say, you know, I try to do things is I do a lot of home projects and things like that, where mm -hmm. I just, I just look, watch a YouTube video or read instructions. And then I just try and by trial and error, do it myself and, and just be patient with myself. Gotcha. Um, I, yeah. I started reading this book. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. The art of learning by Josh Waitzkin. And I've heard of it. I never read it. Yeah. It's actually, it's, yeah, the title is it's really cool. It, it talks about like, um, you know, finding a, a learning process that works for you, uh, but he describes his learning process as he um, became world champion of like, uh, chess and all these things. So I was just wondering if like, um, that's why I was asking the question on this because I, I was like, I'm super interested in that right now. Yeah. I think the fact that I like to move on to other things means that I, maybe I need to, maybe that my process is limited because <laughs> I get to things. I mean, the part I leave out the parts that I know, I mean, honestly, this is something I'd say to my students I'm saying right now mm -hmm. is I try to tell them I can't teach them. So mostly what I teach is writing. Um, there's mm -hmm. other things, but the writing is the core thing we teach in engineering. And, and my constant refrain is I can't make you a good writer in a semester. That's a whole lifetime of work to do. Mm. And so, and I compare it to learning an instrument or, um, learning a sport, learning to play a sport. 
that it just takes lots and lots of practice and patience to get better at it. So to me, that's my process beyond a certain point. My process is practice. Um, You know, I, one of my hobbies is photography and with that, it's just doing it and starting Mm -hmm. to learn more about myself in the process and figure out what I want to know that I don't know and what I do that doesn't work. And I need to figure out a new way to do that's, that's, if I had a process, I guess that's part of it. Um, but the starting, the start of it is more organized, is more trying to understand what I'm trying to learn, find the lessons. And then it's just a lot of practice. I guess that's what it comes down to. Mm. Um, I've heard a lot of uh, successful, very successful people talk about how writing is one of the most important skills that they've ever picked up. Um, and, and I want to know, why do you think, why is writing so important? Why, um, especially for engineering students, I'm just interested to hear your take because I've picked up a daily practice of writing since like apparently like really, really successful people say writing is important. And I've come to discover it just allows me to think much more clearly and form like better thoughts, but I want to know your thoughts. That That's a good way to look at it because I've heard people say writing is just thinking on paper. Um, and I worked with a, a actually a physics professor uh, here in engineering once who liked to say that you're the first audience for the anything you write. And so for some people, and I found this when I was writing my dissertation, that I didn't really know what I thought until I wrote, because I had all these ideas floating around in my head. And the writing, the process of writing forced me to have to say something rather than sort of fool myself into thinking I had some structure that it all fit into, because I'd have these vague ideas of what I thought and think, oh, this makes sense to me. But then when I had to write it out, I realized, A, it didn't make that much sense, uh, or as much as I thought, and B... I didn't even understand it until I actually had to process it. So I think that's one thing. The other part of it is the other audience is the people you write for. I mean, this is for my class, why it's important is that, um, you know, you can't share your ideas with other people unless you can explain them to them. Um, and so that's, that's a part of it as well. It's just, it's just, it's just communication. Yeah. I've had that same, um, um, thing happened to me where like I write things down and I'm like, oh, that, that doesn't make sense. But it also ha- happens to me sometimes in the past when I've spoken, right? And I wonder if my writing, like having picked up this writing practice has has um, reduced that. Um, so that's just interesting that I was just thinking about. But um, I was going to ask you, uh, let's let's talk about um, kind of uh, studying abroad. And I want to know when, when was your the first time you went to uh, another country abroad? How old were you and where'd you go? I was, let me think about this, 22, yeah, 22, well, no, I just turned, no, I just turned 21, sorry. Oh, wow. Um, I'm forgetting how old I am. Uh, No, I just turned 21. Actually, I literally left like a week after my 21st birthday, Um, and I went to the UK. Um, I, you know, since we're talking about study abroad, I actually did not do study abroad as an undergraduate. I had signed up to do study abroad in Germany um, and in Berlin. This was, now now I'm really aging myself, but this was um, in, and so it was uh, the fall of 1989 Mm. uh, was before I was supposed to go and the Berlin Wall fell. And I had friends who were there and a combination of feeling like I'd actually missed the most exciting thing about being in Berlin at that time. I mean, you can tell I make lots of irrational decisions, but 
part that and the fact that I was actually feeling very burnt out by school. I um, and had some other stuff going on personally that I just decided not to go. And my, my rationale, which was in some ways a little more level-headed was I'm paying Stanford tuition or really my parents are helping pay t- Stanford tuition for what is essentially a trip abroad. Because when we went to countries where uh, the programs in countries where um, English was not the first language, mm-hmm. you were taught by somebody there. Um, and so in a way, I mean, yes, I could learn more German there, but anything else I took was kind of a lighter class. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, for study abroad it allows you to explore some, but I kind of thought this is this really good use of money to just sort of fund this trip. Um, mm. and what I ended up doing was taking, uh, we're on the quarter system there. So it was the, the spring quarter, which was basically the last three months of the year, um, uh, I just took it off from school. I got a, uh, there's a, there was a program that still exists where I got a work permit, um, a student work permit oh, wow. so that I could go there. Um, and then I could do work, uh, to pay my way. So that's kind of what I did. I didn't work the whole time, but what did you work as? Where did you go to the UK? Just- I went to the UK. I ended up in, actually I ended up in Edinburgh, um, Scotland, and I worked at a restaurant there for about a month or so. Um, Wow. That sounds cool. I've never, I mean, I've done some volunteering abroad. I've taught like English, but I've never had a job abroad. So how was that experience? I mean, it was a restaurant job. So it was, it was good. <laughs> it was fun because the, the, I worked with two guys in this basically cave. We were, we were, we worked, it was a, it was a, it was a bar basically or bar and the kitchen was the next floor down. And so mm. all the food went up by dumbwaiter. And so we were literally in a windowless oh, wow. room making food in this tall, small windowless room, making food. <laughs> and um, one guy in particular, I became really friendly with, um, and uh, it was kind of a good way to get to know somebody there, you know. Um, oh yeah, Definitely. it was it was a typical restaurant job though, where it was I had to show up six days a week, and some, the 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 day off varied, and that's why I stopped was that I couldn't actually, I was mostly just working, um, and then maybe going out for a drink at night or things like that, but I wasn't getting to explore too much, mm. and so um, and so that's why I stopped, and I did some volunteer work. Uh, outside of that, but it made me enough money to, I mean, I was living pretty cheaply. I was in a hostel. So it made me enough money to at least pay for part of my, part of my travels. Um, and the other was at least cheaper than again, paying for tuition. So, yeah, I, the, having a job seems like, uh, like another great way to, to meet people abroad, because I've been asking myself this question and I ask other people this question, what are like great ways to meet people abroad? And I mean, for me, like, since I've done study abroad that were May masters and for people don't, who don't know on a May master, you usually go with a group of students. It's kind of like already, uh, you already gonna, you're bound to become really close to these students. Um, and so, uh, that's, uh, definitely might get a job when I, when I go abroad again, because I'm, I'm planning on going to like live for a year in a country. So I don't know where, where that's going to be, but I was going to ask you about Scottish culture. Did you think about, did you learn anything about from working with Scottish? Is it Scottish people? Is that the, yeah. The, yeah. I guess you call them Scots, but yeah, Scottish Scots. people. Yeah. Did, did um, you see any differences from like your culture and theirs? Um, in that role, not as much. And I, the guy I was working with, that I was talking about the people I worked with were older than me and I was still a college student. So I didn't have a lot of perspective, but, um, uh, you know, I learned, you know, one thing I learned and not that it isn't true in the American culture, but I, I, one of my regrets actually was 
this one guy who had a young son. Um, we talked about going to see a, a football match together. Oh. And um, and this was, I don't know if it's still this way. I'm guessing it's not, but who knows. Um, this is back when religious differences kind of uh, created a lot of friction. Mm. I mean, this is in Scotland, not even not even in Ireland, but they had a Catholic team and a Protestant team there. And the way he described it to me was essentially like you go in different entrances, you leave different through through different exits. Uh, I mean, you, you go in and out from different places. There are fences to separate the two sides when they when the two teams play each other. And because there can be actual sort of violence that breaks out otherwise. And he had invited me to go with him and I ended up not doing it, I think, because it just something didn't come up before I left. But um, but I think, I think I learned a little bit more about that and about British culture. I, I arrived there on, uh, I don't know if it was the day after, but it was definitely within a week after what were they called the poll tax riots, um, mm-hmm. there. And I learned it was, I think the interesting thing to me was just that people were much back then. I think things maybe are different now, but back then people were a lot more politically aware and um, invested um, uh, at that time at, at, you know, at all levels. Um, Mm. And again, maybe I'm wrong about the way things were when I was younger, because I think things may maybe feel different to me now, but maybe that's because I'm an adult, but it seemed like people cared more about what was happening with, you know, and were speaking up, spoke up more there than I was seeing in the U.S. Not that I didn't see it in the U.S., but it felt like, and again, it might have been my bubble of being at Stanford and things like that, but there was a lot of, at that age, a lot of kind of political naivete and and really just sort of obliviousness. Like you kind of, you knew what was going on. I mean, I voted and things like that, but I wasn't yeah. as tuned in or, or, or even had as strong an opinion about as many things, I guess, politically speaking. Well, that's the beauty of travel, right? It, it bursts your bubble and it forces you to get out of that bubble and to kind of like, you got to take a step back and look at what um, what the bubble is, or at least um, for for a little bit. Why did you uh, choose uh, to take students to Spain? Did you build the program? Um, no, that was that was a program that existed, and I just sort of got in line and took my turn going. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Why did you want to take student? Why did you want to be uh, be like the one that would lead that program? Um. Well, first of all, because even though I didn't do study abroad, mm-hmm. my time in the UK, the three months I spent in the UK were definitely one of the most kind of impactful and meaningful experiences of my undergraduate career, even though it wasn't part of my undergraduate career. Um, and everybody I know who did do it uh, says that. I mean, in fact, actually, my wife went to Oxford and she did serious study there as part of the because it's English speaking. So she was working with a tutor there. She was doing real stuff and she was there for two quarters um i didn't meet her till after and the I, the funny thing is, is i met her actually through friend mutual friends that she wouldn't have known had she not gone on study abroad so i say the study abroad is what is what got us together wow. but, um, <laughs> Love but it. everybody i know who's done it says kind of what you say is it's sort of one of the most uh meaningful uh, impactful experiences that they have. Um, and so I, I just think I believe in it as a, as a part of education is part of it. Um, and, and honestly, it was an opportunity for me to 
to get to go and yeah, experience yeah, it myself course. too. Yeah. It's like you're, you're a study abroad as well. And, 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 um, I mean, I get, I assume you liked it a lot cause you went to two, two more times. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, and, 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 and part of that too, you know, again, if I'm talking about what I get out of it selfishly is, so I've got a son who's now 16 and I'm trying to think the first time we went, he was 11, I think. Wow. Um, and he's gotten, so he's been able to go and that's something I didn't get. Like, you know, like I said, I didn't leave the country well, except for Canada. Cause I grew up in Vermont. Um, I didn't leave the country until I went to the UK in college. And it's been a really great experience for him to experience that and to see that there's other ways of living too. Yeah. How old um, did you say he was? He's 16 now. He oh, was, man. I want to say he was 11. I'm pretty sure he was 11 the, when I went to Santander, which was that first program. Do, do you notice a difference in like his uh, worldview or does he talk about, uh, yeah? What, what, what yeah. things do you notice? Well, I mean, he's, I don't know if this is the cause, you know, you never know, but he's, he's interested in, um, geography. He's interested mm. in the world. He's his big thing in high school now is his model UN. That's his, you know, where he puts all of his time. Um, he's interested in politics. Um, he's, he's, he's a pretty good, he's a better Spanish speaker than I am. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I say that because I'm not very good. Um, <laughs> Uh, when we went the first time, he was probably an incomparable level to me, but now he's definitely better um, because he's been taking it since he was little and he's still taking, you know, he's, he's in Spanish three, I think mm -hmm. I should know, I guess, but um, so, and he wants to learn more languages. So okay. he has this, and he, he at one point said he wanted to go to college overseas. I think he's not going to do that just because the education is a little bit different, but he definitely wants, he wants uh, to I think he thinks he wants a, a career and a life that's going to involve getting, you know, traveling around the world in some measure or being in other countries and things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I totally understand him in that. And I'm sure, I'm sure it played a part, like seeing other, that there's like different cultures, different ways that they, that people live. Um, and, uh, I wanted to talk about food. I don't know if you're a big foodie, but I know for me going abroad, one of the biggest things is always the food. How is food in Scotland and Spain? Are there any favorite dishes that stand out to you that you just can't get enough of? Well, Scotland, I mean, the food has gotten better there. I've been back a couple of times since. <laughs> back then it was mostly, and I said I worked in a restaurant. Most of what we did was threw things into a deep fryer. <laughs> um, I did pick up when I was there the first time, and it's totally unlike my usual taste, but I did pick up a taste for haggis. Uh, what is a haggis? I've heard of that. Haggis is basically this sort of sausage, but it's it's a lot of organ meats all ground together and seasoned with oatmeal, mm. and it's kind of disgusting to most people <laughs> once you describe once you describe what it is. I mean, it sounds disgusting to describe it. Yeah, but it tastes really good, and I like it. I've had it actually. One of the one of the things one of the um, I was about to get on a ferry to go to the Orkney Islands. And uh, one of the thing, my favorite things I had when I was there the first time was um, haggis and chips. It was a, it was a deep fried piece of haggis and Ooh. chips, you know, fries. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that, that's kind of what I picked up there. When I've been back since it's kind of more what American, you know, farm to table type cuisine is like there. I mean, that's mm. the cuisine there. I, I mean, I don't think anybody talks about British cuisine or, you know, as being anything Haggis is what people know from, from Scotland. And yeah. a lot of people say, I never eat that, but it's good. Um, gotcha. And Scottish ale I like. 
So. <laughs> Scottish ale. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about uh, what about Spain? Spain is easier. I mean, Spain is pretty much everything, but everything. Um, the tapas, yeah. the paella. Yeah, and and tortilla, and and a lot of the seafood because you know, um, Santander is a coastal city, and Barcelona, um, and so the seafood, a lot of seafood. Um, uh, in Santander, the 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 pinchos. Um, they're really kind of a cool experience too. Mm-hmm. And there, and there it's just for me, because my Spanish wasn't strong enough. I mean, sometimes I can ask people what things are, but if you go to a place that's really crazy busy, which they can be, mm-hmm. um, I'm just kind of pointing at things and just hoping for the best because they don't have time to, I don't have time to get them to explain to me what each thing is. So. Oh yeah. 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 Just whatever looks good. I've had that experience yeah. as well. <laughs> just that I want, I need that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's hit or miss. Um, you, in our email, um, I'm really interested about this person you, you mentioned, you mentioned that one of the most interesting people you've met in the world is works in Barcelona. Is that, is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about this interesting person and, uh, and how you met him or her? Because uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, because I've met so many interesting characters and like, I, uh, I assume he's super interesting because you mentioned him in, in the email that like I, I could probably talk to him. So uh, I'm interested to hear more about him. Yeah, he's um, so he actually works for this organization, CIEE, uh, which is the partner organization that the programs I was there on we use. So they these are organizations that do international study abroad stuff. So okay. they have their own programs, but they also coordinate and set up programs for others. So basically they provide us with classrooms, um, the housing they find in the, the Barcelona program, they find internships for the students. Mm. Um, and they just provide support in general. Um, and, and there's different organizations that do that. Um, and, uh, the setup was a little different in the Santander program, which is we were partnered with the university of Cantabria there. And so they did, a, there was a, an actual people there in the university who, who ran things for us, but, um, in this case, they're a partner organization, and he um, he was the first time I went was the I don't remember the name. I think project. I think coordinator. I can't remember the name that the title they give to mm. it. But he was basically our person who sort of yeah, you was our point person there. Yeah, our go to person there. Um, and uh, and now he is he sort of like has a higher up position in in curriculum. I think. Um, because they run their own programs there too. So he hires faculty for the programs that they run and things like that. But he nicely actually ran our program the second time I went back, <laughs> um, which I'm taking as a compliment that, that, that um, he likes me as much as I like him, but yeah. Um, but he, so he is, uh, he uh, is Argentinian, um, but has been there for now. I want to say like 18 or 19 years. Um his wife is American. They met in Argentina. I think they got married while they were still in Argentina. But then I think when the um, economic crisis happened there, they left, and that's when they ended up in Barcelona. Um, and he, uh, he, but he, but oh, he. Part of his leaving actually was he got a PhD in classics, um, mm-hmm. and so he's just. Uh, I mean, he's a really nice person. as part of it. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's very intellectual. Um, mm. 
and and he's very curious. I mean, he asks, you know, he's he's a good he wants to learn about things, you know, so he, it's fun to have conversations with him because it's sort of exploring ideas. It's like being in a seminar. You know, that's what I liked about graduate school was seminars are a chance to just throw around ideas and discuss things. And um, and so that's what it kind of feels like to talk to him is he's somebody who um, who knows a lot, but mm -hmm. also knows what he doesn't know. And so the conversation isn't isn't about him saying this is what I think and you have to agree with me. It's it's an exchange of ideas always. Um, oh, that's, those are the best conversations yeah. when people are open to even hearing what you have to say about what they say, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love the I love those conversations. Um, and um, you said, so he, this is the, he worked for like kind of like IES, I believe that's like another. Uh, that's like, another, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. CIEE -E is his organization, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And so I wanted to ask you more about like uh, the course that you taught in, is it the same course that you're going to be teaching in, in Copenhagen? Um, the course it, that taught in Spain? It is. It's a, it's a required course we have in engineering. Um, so it's just started transplanting it. You know, it'll be a little different because this is the first time I'm teaching a four week version. Mm -hmm. So I've always been lucky enough to teach a six week version. The other programs I did which, which is already compressing things a bit, but I've gotten into a rhythm with that. Um, last year I taught a five week version when our study abroad, well, I was gonna be five weeks anyway, cause I was supposed to go to Seoul, South Korea, but it was canceled. Um, mm -hmm. And then we did an online version. Uh, and then this year it's five, it's four weeks. So that's gonna be new for me, but it's the same, it's the same course. It's just um, having to do things a little bit differently to account for the compression of the, the time. And what do you teach uh, in the course? You teach uh, communication, but like through writing. Yeah, it's it's um, writing, speaking, um, teamwork, uh, and then ethics are kind of the main things we cover, and, and a little bit of professionalism, like learning to prepare themselves to to be professionals. So learning yeah. to to manage their time and learning to how to just communicate on a professional level and things like that. Gotcha. How do you uh, how do you like morph or how do you combine like their environment with the classroom? What kind of activities or or field trips do you have? Um, we'll, we'll so we're still we're, we're honestly still working on Denmark, even though it's only a few weeks away. Um, I mean, I know we'll probably do there, but it hasn't been finalized. But so, for example, in um, yeah, you can tell me my about first. Spain. Sorry, go ahead. you can tell me about Spain, and then we can move, go on to like what you have planned for Copenhagen. Yeah, in Santander, in part because it was my, wasn't my first time, I didn't do as much other than just talking about it in class, talking about people's students' experiences. So they had homestays. And so mm. we would talk every day about culture shock and just cultural differences, which was a good break from the, honestly, the drier stuff of talking about engineering communication. Yeah. Um, so that first time it really was just helping everybody process the experience of being in a different culture. Mm. And Santander especially, I mean, Barcelona is great and I love it. Um, but it's a more cosmopolitan city in the sense that you can get away with speaking English and not speaking much Spanish there. Um, the, the work culture and even just the daily culture is a little more like an American kind of style of culture. Santander was hardcore Spanish. You know, I mean, we, you know, we talked about food. We tried to go out for dinner uh, one time at like nine o'clock at night and they looked at us like, what are you doing here? 
Um, you know, it was still too early. You know, in Barcelona, you can get food anytime. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're saying Barcelona is a metropolitan one, and then the Santander is the, it's like a smaller city. It's a smaller city, and I mean, and, and I'm not sort of knocking it. I love actually, I really love Santander, and I like oh, it's yeah. a little quieter. But it's a little. I mean, I mean, here's an example of what I'm talking about: is um, you could not count on anybody speaking English there. Um, mm. My Spanish got a lot better there than it ever wow. was in Barcelona because I had no choice but to communicate in Spanish. Um, I mean, I even one of my proudest moments on that that first trip was we had tried to buy these tickets, bus tickets to Bilbao, and there was some mix-up, and I had to use the phone customer service to get a um, to cancel a charge, mm. and I had to do that entirely in Spanish. And oh, like yeah. by the end of it, I was just like, "Wow, I actually pulled that off." <laughs> Um, I mean, it's not great. I shouldn't be proud of the fact that I, my Spanish is, isn't better, but you know, it is what it is. But, um, I think you should be proud of the fact that your Spanish is there, you know, not a lot of people yeah. would be able to, you, that's amazing. Like, that's awesome. If, if it's like not your first language, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's, um, anyway, so there was a lot to process there because there the cultural differences were bigger, I guess is maybe the, I should have just said that up front. Um, and so yeah. we spent a lot of time just sort of talking about some of those challenges because some of them were just having challenges with their host family, like not understanding why their host family was annoyed that they didn't come up for dinner or things like that. Um, so that was what I did the first time. But when I've gone to Barcelona, what I've done is um, we have a team project research project generally, and I make it focused on where we are. So I try to get them to think about engineering in the place we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in Denmark, that's going to be about sustainability because they have a lot of stuff going on there in terms of how they treat waste and their energy production and things like that. So I want them to kind of look at it and look at it. I look at the engineer, look at it from an engineer's point of view as part of it. Um, we do spend time in, in class doing the same thing I did in Santander, like talking about some of the differences they notice, some of the hard parts. And again, sort of processing culture shock, especially early on is mm-hmm. I think good for them because they realize, oh, I'm not the only one feeling a little out of place here or struggling with this. Um, and I also, by the end, I get them to think, I try to ask them to think about, you know, the things that are different that they want to maintain. Like what if, what are new habits you've picked up to fit in here that you think are good habits, you know, mm. that you didn't do at home. Um, and then uh, in Barcelona, they usually have an internship. So we talk about the differences in the workplace. Um, and how that plays out as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I, I wanted to unpack this a little bit because you said uh, there's a lot that is super interesting, especially the culture shock in Santander. Um, what are like some of the big differences that shock the students? Um, like you mentioned, they wouldn't go, families get offended if you wouldn't go to dinner. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they, you know, they, they, there was this whole thing of, um, I mean, it wasn't a big problem with a lot of them. It was, but there is this kind of dynamic that, that we're told about beforehand. And it's true. It was true in Barcelona because they have host families. So they're there. They're a little more used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they host a lot more students. So they kind of get, and they host a lot of American students. They know what's happening. Santander, it's kind of a little less um, familiar to them to have American students coming in that way is they see this as a chance for them to learn from the students and to sort of get a relationship with them. Mm. And they don't want to be treated as a hotel, you know, and, and it's a missed opportunity, honestly, for the students not to get to know their host families. Um, I mean, and most do, and that's, I'm not sort of saying that that's a common problem. It's just sort of like, 
Yeah. They'll forget to email. I mean, it's not that they don't, that they even are, are just skipping out entirely, but they'll forget to phone, phone back or text back to the host family and say, Oh, I'm not going to make it. And they'll say, they'll be, they'll be upset. Cause it'll be like, you know, if I had, well, well my son's a teenager, but he doesn't go out right now because of pandemic. But if, if, you know, I'm home making dinner and my son doesn't tell me he's not coming home for dinner. Gotcha. Say, Why aren't you letting me know you're not? I mean, it's okay. You can do things, but let me know what's going on. So I know where you are, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so they didn't sort of understand that sometimes the host mothers see them as their, their mother. Um, but sometimes it was just more things like, actually, I'll give you a really good one that I got from a student then who was ever really a hard time is that because they see that relationship that way, you know, the host mothers and, and, and unfortunately it's, you know, it's still sort of gendered, but the, the host mothers would, um, I would do their laundry. And I had one student who said, this was the thing he was struggling with. Uh, this was in Santander, who said the thing he was struggling with was that he was raised to be self-sufficient and to take care of himself. So he had, from an early age, done all of his own laundry for himself and done other things for himself. And he was having a really hard time because he wanted to do the laundry for himself, but his host mother would absolutely not let him do it. And in fact, what she was doing was sneaking into his room and getting his clothes and washing them while he was away at class. So when he came home, they were all washed. And and he said it wasn't like a personal, like privacy space thing. It was, he felt it just, he actually felt internally irresponsible or guilty because he should be doing that for himself. Wow. It was really interesting that he was struggling with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's sometimes things like that. Um, like I say, in Barcelona, it's often about the work culture and things like that. Now, the other things that I don't know how much the students see, you know, I talk about going out at nine o'clock and they say, what are you doing here? Um, and I mentioned the Pinchos bars where it's super packed. That's one thing I liked about Santander. It mm-hmm. was, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was, it's still a city. It's still pretty sizable, but you know, five, uh, you know, two to five o'clock, it's dead on the streets. Things are closed. I mean, literally everything is closed and there are people out, but it's just like very, very quiet. Um, I mean, there is, there is still a kind of siesta culture going on there. Um, and then, like I say, dinner doesn't start till much later and it doesn't start till 10 o'clock. And that's kind of the early end of the start of dinner. So 10 PM. Yeah. Like midnight, midnight, (laughs) you can go into a place at midnight and it is packed. Um, And it's not just people drinking, it's people eating, you know, it's things like that. And it's kid, little kids running around. Um, Wow. And the one, the one epiphany I had in Santander in particular, and again, I'm not trying to be critical of the students. I was that age once too, mm-hmm. but you know, they would go away on the weekends for, um, to go to other places in the weekends. And so sometimes I'd hear that, you know, over here, the stories of going out and drinking and things like that. <laughs> Partying. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, this is not me throwing stones. It's more just observing, you know, yeah. what the culture is. But it occurred to me at some point when I was out that, and and I'm sure it's an oversimplification of things for sure, but that it seemed like a lot of the culture out there, you know, out in the bars um, and the cafes and things like that is that people um, drank to be social and even ate to be social. Not that they didn't enjoy the drink and they didn't enjoy the food, but it was sort of like, this is an opportunity to be, we're going to go out to the bar. And we're going to eat and we're going to drink, but it's so that we can be with people. 
And it feels like in American culture, sometimes it's we we are with people. We go out with people so that we can drink. I don't excuse myself from some of that. And it was a it was a kind of a nice little thing to notice of like, oh, yeah, you know, they're not there for. They're there to enjoy, you know, the wine and whatever they're drinking, but it's kind of not like, let's go out and drink a lot. It's sort of like we're going to go out and we're going to we're going to enjoy the company and we're going to drink while we do it. But, you know, it's sort of like that's giving us an opportunity to be with people. And, and again, not that Americans don't do that as too, but I saw that as a kind of, again, as oversimplification of the differences I see in the cultures. And again, I'm not even just talking about the students. I'm just saying like here, it feels like it's like, you know, that's that's that. I mean, in a way, I guess that's what pub culture is too, in the sense of pubs are you go and you mm-hmm. hang out you with socialize. People. Yeah, you socialize. And, and again, not that we don't do that here, but it feels like sometimes there's a little bit of a different focus there. Yeah, like it's the objective, right? I, I, yeah. I completely understand what you mean because that sounds amazing to me because it was uh, similar to the experience I had in uh, in Cuba a little bit where you kind of go out to be with the people not to, um, you know, get <laughs> get crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, you do, sometimes you do get crazy along the way, but... But that just sounds so enticing to me. I don't know why. I, I think it's because I'm a I love people and I love conversation and the idea that that which begins to make sense in my head. Uh, tapas, the idea of tapas, right? Like these little small plates that are kind of there just to be consumed as you as you're in conversation or you're 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 having a good time. Oh my god, I, I really want to go to Spain. Um, <laughs> I've talked to people and they love Spain. People talk love Spain. Um, but I think I would go to a, um, a smaller city like San, what is it called again? San, Santander. Santander, because yeah. I, what I find is I like that environment where um, I have to get out of my comfort zone where they're not catering to me. They're just being mm-hmm. them. I'm kind of like the outsider. And um, um, to me, that's the where I get the most uh, transformation. What have students, students from your Spain programs, what did they tell you? What did they answer to the question? What habits they picked up? Because you ask them what habits they new habits they pick up. What did they answer? Um, now I have to think about this. I think some of them, some of them, it's um, some of it is some of the change to. Um, well, some of it is about is about how they look at at meals. As simple as that mm-hmm. sounds, um, yeah, yeah. that uh, like they like the they like the the big lunch um, and the later dinners and things like that. Not that students don't do that, but I think they like the the sort of the way that the flow of the day goes is part of it. Um, they, uh, you know, a lot of them have never spent time in a big city, um, or if they have, not one that's quite as city-like as, say, I mean, Santander is different, but Barcelona, like, they've never been in a city with a um, a real strong public transportation system where that's how you get around. And they kind of like that, like not had, being in their car. I mean, some of them say I, they, they're happy to get back to their car, but some of them are like, oh, I'm, it's going to be weird to get in a car and I don't feel like I need to, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think the pace, maybe more than anything, some of them feel like they, it doesn't feel as hectic to them. Not that they aren't doing a lot, but it just doesn't feel like we're in a rush to, to have to do everything, you know, that, I mean, in Spain, this is what they pick up from the work culture, although sometimes they take it too far is just, um, you know, time is a little bit fluid. It's, uh, well, your day starts at nine, but it's not really like everybody is there on the dot at nine. It's just, and we have more of that today, I think in our culture, 
particularly in in engineering and tech industry, it's kind of you know, and you work on your own schedule. But I think there's just sort of a sense of less rushing around that they get sometimes. Yeah, these internships that they go on. Why is that important? Like, um, you know, I know for me when I worked in in South Africa with, um, that's where I learned the most. Um. Uh, I think because I, I mean, you get to deepen relationships with people in a different way than just a social setting. Um, but what do students tell you about their internships? What do they like learn? Um, well, sometimes they get to do interesting work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for example, I had a student, it's not always engineering work, but I had a student who, um, because a lot of these are at startups, they, that's the startups are happy to take them on because they'll take anybody who'll do, who can do something for them. And sometimes it's more technical than others. And I had a student, I can't remember what her role exactly was. It wasn't quite technical. It was more business side, but they actually gave her a title and business cards because they wanted, they had her presenting to, to, to clients Wow. and they wanted her to have a title. And so she was she thought great. And she put that on her resume when she got back is, you know, here's my title. It wasn't just intern. It was, I was the manager, you know, something manager. I can't remember what it was. Um, and uh, so sometimes it's, they get to work on things. They get to see, you know, interesting, you get to do interesting work. So sometimes it's that sometimes it's, they get to see what a workplace looks like. That's different from an American workplace. Um, again, just this sort of style of interaction, style of communication and things like that. Um, and then sometimes it is they get to they get to know people. Um, mm. You know, like you yeah, say, it's how do you get to know people? It's 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 by spending a lot of time with them. But, yeah, in, in any setting, exactly. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's 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 this thing of it's almost like practice. You know, it's like when you're how do you get better at something? How do you get how do you deepen a relationship? It's through practice of being around each other. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you because. Uh, this is a question that that I've thought about a lot, but I've never since you've worked with companies abroad, um, like you've worked, you've helped students connect with uh, get them internships and stuff. Do you find that are American students like very valuable to companies in other countries, um, or is it because or not necessarily? Um, I think it depends. So I mean, I actually so in in, in Barcelona. Um, my friend Andres is the one who's actually responsible for running the internships usually, but um, but I do hear from him and I do hear from you know, the students to um, like kind of how the relationship goes. I, I was working on for for Seoul the program in Seoul. I wanted to develop an internship program there, which is a little bit harder because I think the culturally the differences make it a little mm-hmm. different. Um, in terms of just a culture of unpaid of interns and things like that. I mean, I don't know enough. That's what I was trying to learn. Um, I know in Spain, the value that they brought aside from just being able to do some things for them. Like I said, these, a lot of these are startups who are just happy to have some free labor. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the things they did for them was their knowledge of English. So some of them were doing things where they were translating materials or editing materials for an English audience. You know, stuff that had been written in English by, by somebody who wasn't a native English speaker, and they would go through and help them yeah. uh, uh, edit things. And sometimes it was um, uh, just to have that perspective, you know, because the world still revolves a lot, a lot around America, uh, around the United States. Um, you know, sometimes it's just understanding American business gives them, gives them some insights. I think if there's value, it's that, but I think the language certainly 
Yeah. Having language skills would help um, so that if you're able to work in both languages, then then that that adds a value as well. Wow. Okay. Uh, this is super useful for me because I, like I said, I want to travel to another country and I've been thinking about how can I become more valuable to foreign companies because mm -hmm. that'd be the best. Um, <laughs> and, uh, what do you, what's, what's your hope that like students take away from the, these programs? What do you want them to take away from like, I mean, from Spain and, and now from Copenhagen, what do you want them to leave with? Um, you know, some of it we've talked about, I mean, one thing is to me, the most important thing, honestly, is that idea of seeing that there's more than one way, uh, for life to be lived, I guess. Mm. Um, there's more than one way for, you know, there's more than one normal out there. Um, that getting exposed to a different culture, it isn't just about seeing what other, you know, where other people are coming from. It's also recognizing, oh, this is that thing about what are the habits you want to change or things like that. It's recognizing that things that we sort of take as a given aren't really a given. It's just what yeah. we know, you know, it's the whole, uh, this is water thing. Yeah. Um, uh, that I think it allows them to get some perspective and realize, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. And maybe I like it this other way. They don't have to like it the other way. They may, they might realize and they might see the value in what we have and say, there's things I really value about the culture that I have, because now that I've seen this other way, I find mm -hmm. that I don't like it. Um, and that's okay. I mean, that's the students who say, I want to get back in my car, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. they don't have cars in Barcelona or wherever, but you know, that's, that's, they discover something about themselves that isn't just, I mean, here's the thing with engineering students too, is I'll sometimes ask students because it's a common interview question. Um, you know, why are you in engineering? Mm. And some of them, their answer is, well, because I was good at this and my parents are engineers. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm not saying that that's a bad reason to do it, mm -hmm. but it's always more interesting to me to, to hear from someone that they're doing it because I really enjoy doing this type of work. I found it this way and this is what I like to do. So some of the students I see coming through, honestly, uh, who have the most passion are not just, I want to find an, in, a job in computer and electrical engineering at any company. It's someone who's really interested in music who wants to apply their skills to music. Or I had a student last semester who's interested in, who's an RTF minor or double major, who's really interested in going into that field, but applying her technical skills. Wow. And, um, uh, and I think it's sort of whatever they're going to do, at least knowing that they're making choices, mm. um, about the life that they're living, that there are choices and it's fine if they go with where they were headed anyway, because then they know why they're doing it and why they would prefer that over the other things. So to me, that's the sort of big picture, what I hope they get. I mean, similarly having some empathy, some, some perspective on how other people approach things and understanding, because we do talk about that in the workplace in particular, sort of understanding. We did this actually in Sundandera a lot. Going back to, I mean, going back to, we don't, I don't know if we talked about it, but that student who, um, I mean, I don't know if we talked about it in class, but the student who was on edge about the laundry, it's understanding that for that host mother to her is a matter of pride that she takes care of him or things like that. And so understanding that something that to an American might look course or might look weird is normal for them. And what we do is weird, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. And so having that perspective, I think is just broadening things for them at, at a very minimum, broadening things and seeing the world a little bit less through one lens, seeing it a little more three-dimensionally. 
Yeah. That's to me the value. I love how you said, uh, there's no like one way. I mean, it's just crazy. We're all humans, but there's like these different things that are so accepted as normal. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas like, if you kind of go to another country with the idea of like, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave America, my American self, I'm going to put it on pause for a little bit. Like I'm going to be myself, but I'm not going to expect America in Spain. Right. Um, you get to, you really get a glimpse of, like you said, a completely different life. And it's, it offers options. Your, your bubble bursts, you get to go, go get outside the box. Um, what are you excited about some of these? So what are you excited about in, for Co- Copenhagen? Um, like the things that you're going to be doing? Um, well, one is actually being in a classroom with students <laughs> um, after two and a half semesters in Zoom. Uh, I'm done with it. But um, yeah, <laughs> but in Denmark specifically, well, I've been to Copenhagen. Um, I actually have a, a friend from graduate school who's Danish and who's there. And, and the one time I've been, I was visiting him. Um, I think, you know, for me personally, it's just exploring it more because I've been there one week. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing I learned when I went to the UK was to me, it's I'd rather spend uh, a week in one place than spread three, four, five places across a week because then it's super, then I end up just sort of looking at the guidebook and saying, let me go see this site, let me go see this site, and I don't get to yes. immerse myself in the culture as opposed to. I'm going to spend a week here and that gives me time to, yeah, see some sites, but the rest of the time can just be living, can just be wandering around and doing things. And this is something my family and I actually, um, my family and I, is just my wife and my son and I, but we've learned when we've traveled, we have gone abroad because we usually travel at one end or the other of it is to not try to pack too much into a day in terms of our plans, because we get tired and we get burnt out. And if we get, you know, if we say we're going to get, we think realistically about get this done in the morning and this in the afternoon, or this is just a, this is the only thing we're going to get done that day. It allows us to move slowly and to just kind of, again, sort of get lost and experience things. Um, So to me, it's just exploring Denmark, exploring Copenhagen um, a little bit more for me personally. For the students, it's some of those typical things I talked about is just seeing a different way. I, I think actually there's going to be an interesting way, um, thing for them to learn about the pandemic. Um, I mm. don't know exactly how things are there in terms of conditions, uh, with the disease. You know, I mean, I know what the numbers are like generally, but like my friend who's there who I've been, you know, communicating with and telling him, Oh, it looks like I'm coming. And he said, he said, well, it looks like it's me another month before I have my vaccine. And I thought, Whoa, wow. you know, I mean, I've, I've I'm past my two week point on mine now. Um, and I thought, I wonder, you know, we're going to go there feel having this sense of here, things starting to feel like they're opening up and everybody's starting to get vaccinated. So we're starting to let down a little bit and we're going to get there and it may not be quite the same. And I'm interested to see what that difference is. Um, and then, you know, this the stuff, like I said, around sustainability is looking at some of it is that a lot of what's going on there is just a different way of looking at the role of the government, a different way of, um, prioritize, you know, looking at climate change and things like that, prioritizing certain things and just making that, you know, being ahead of the curve. I don't even know if it's ahead of the curve, but ahead of the U.S. at least in terms of prioritizing sustainable solutions to things. Sustainable um, solutions in in uh, in like uh, the environment, like uh, we're yeah, talking about. Gotcha. yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. This is gonna be, that is going to be a super interesting experience because 
because of the pandemic specifically. And I don't think uh, future study abroad students are going to have that experience. So um, I'm interested to hear in, in how, how that affects students. Cause I think it's going to be a positive effect. I think it's going to give a lot of good, like good perspective. Yeah. I did have some, uh, a couple closing questions. Um, what did, uh, what have your travels taught you about your own fears? Um, it's taught me to overcome some of them. I mean, I'm, I'm an introvert. Um, Mm. you know, I mean, I was, like I said, I was a math person in high school and started school as a math major. And I was sort of probably fit the profile, like the stereotype, um, you know, it has forced me to, to get out of my comfort zone and actually put myself out there. I mean, the, the one really good thing, I will say this, you know, the, 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 quarter I took off to just on the work permit instead of doing study abroad was in retrospect, probably really good for me. Because as you say, if I was in study abroad, I would have had my friends. I could have stayed yeah. in that security blanket. Yeah. I was on my own. Um, I mean, I, I met people and I hung out with people that was, and, and that was being in hostels, you know, I'd meet people and we'd go out and we get to know each other. I'd had my, I had the job, although I didn't spend as much time outside of work with the people there. Um, I did a couple of conservation projects. There were these volunteer projects you paid, but you paid not very much for getting supplied with food and shelter while you, like I built a trail. Um, oh, wow. You uh, built a trail? I helped build a trail. I mean, I didn't do That's it myself. Awesome. <laughs> in, the, in the Highlands, we were basically building yeah, a trail in these in this mountain area, area mountainous area. Um, and, you know, meeting people is, is a hard thing for me because I'm an introvert and it sort of forced me to do that. Mm-hmm. And it forced me to have to just, figure stuff out for myself. Um, and, uh, I think I am better at that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and going with my family has done that to me too, because, um, they tend to, they, they have tended to make me take the lead on those things. Um, my wife, because she doesn't speak much Spanish, she's, she's actually learning, but she, she had taken French and she didn't know any Spanish the first time we went my son, because he's happier to let me have to be the person to go. He's like me in some ways. He's like, he let me be the person who has to embarrass themselves and go ask for help. Um, so it sort of forced me for them. It's like, well, I got to do it because we need to find this out and nobody else is doing it. So I think that that's it. And, um, and, uh, and just resilience and an ability to figure things out, you know, to, 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 I mean, I mean, some of that is, privilege. I'm going there knowing that I've got a credit card to help me. I've got university supporting me. So I know I'm not, you know, the being in a kind of being in a city where I don't know the language and most people don't speak, I can get away with it because I don't need the language for anything other than to buy some groceries to get, you know, to, to shop, um, to get a bus ticket. Um, that's what actually that's, I will say this, that's one thing that occurred to us in Santander in particular, because that was, I might be misremembering, but I think that was around, there was a lot going on with Syrian refugees at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I do remember my wife saying at some point, just saying, this gives me a lot of understanding of what it's like to be uprooted mm-hmm. from your country, to go somewhere where you don't speak the language. She said, you know, just imagine if we didn't have money, we didn't have people we knew who could help us to try to navigate through all of this how hard that would be. We're so lucky that we can do this in a kind of way where it's a learning experience for us, but there's always a safety net. So um, 
So I do want to acknowledge that, but I do think it sort of taught me to not be afraid to of the unknown in some ways like that. Mm. What advice do you give to like introverted students who are perhaps, uh, yeah. I think it's put yourself in positions where you're going to have to, you're going to have to get through it. You know, um, what if, what if they're abroad and they're already in that position? Is there any advice uh, that you give them for meeting more people? Um, I, I think again, find those situations where you're going to meet people and there's an opportunity to talk. So whether that's, like I said, I mean, hostels are great for that. Is yeah. there's other people there? You can you can just start a conversation. I mean, they're they're not often they're they're often American, but that's fine. You're still meeting somebody new. Um, the the other thing is doing you know is things like work or volunteer or um, or or if you have an opportunity to be with a host family. I mean, that's to mm-hmm. me the benefit of the host families is. You know, those are relationships that, a lot, especially in Barcelona, I know those are relationships that sort of continue for life. Um, I mean, yeah, they do yeah. sort of adopt. It varies, but um, you know, those are those are. And I know people who are closer to my age who did study abroad who still go back when they go back to the country they were after study abroad. They visit their host family. You know, <laughs> they still maintain those connections. So there's there's that as well. Um, oh, there's something else I was going to say. I can't remember now what it was. Um, I know what it was. It goes, it goes back to, it's not quite the same as the thing I was talking about with, you know, people who are uprooted, but I try to remind myself too, because here's the thing that I, a fear of mine that I still am working is, is a fear of my own incompetence with Spanish. Mm. Um, And so my friend Andres, I talked about before made this observation, not just about me. I don't, he wasn't even talking about me, but he was talking about the students and talking about Americans and people who don't feel confident with the language that you swallow your words. And so you, you, you sort of garble things because you're afraid to get it wrong. So you kind of swallow those words. And yeah. you, don't, you don't just throw it out there and try to get it right. And you might not get it exactly right. Um, and I know I'm very guilty of doing that. And I try to remind myself, hold on. When I listen to somebody who's not a native English speaker, who speaks with an accent, number one, even if they aren't speaking perfect English, I can understand them. If it's really broken English, I can still usually figure it out and I'm patient with them. And I don't think to myself, what an idiot, they don't know how to speak my language. Mm. And I have to give myself a little, cut myself a little bit of slack and not feel like I have to be a perfect Spanish speaker to try to speak in Spanish. Um, That's that's a a kind of fear that I overcome too, um, is that. And I think that's part of it is not being afraid to put yourself out there and realize that, yeah, maybe I'm not as good with the language, but I'm trying to communicate. Um, and, and it's amazing how much communication can happen actually without all the words. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, my wife who doesn't speak Spanish, didn't at the time, didn't speak any Spanish. Um, when you, (laughs) we talk about the culture and things like that, um, she was on the bus and, uh, with my son, who, who at that point did speak some Spanish, but not a lot. Um, and these women were, she was, she needed help. And she was asking these women for help and they didn't speak English, but they were able to help her. And then they started scolding her, telling her, you really need to learn Spanish. <laughs> and then they weren't in a way of like, they were angry with her. They were just saying, you know, no, that's, you really should do that. You know, that's good for you to learn it. And, um, and, and everybody who tried to help her, like she would try to buy something and the person there would actually talk her through the process. And so people want to communicate. 
Mm, um, yeah. Most people want to connect. And I think once you realize that, you can find those connections. Especially because you're from, you're different, you're, you're a foreigner. You know, people want to know about you. You're interesting. You're so interesting right now because it's like, you're not just like everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. As, as my last question, uh, let's say you could give a message to every study abroad student before they got on their flight. What would you tell them? Oh, goodness. Um, hmm. I would say... Um, Prepare to be uncomfortable, but it's kind of what we were just talking about. Prepare to be uncomfortable, but know that that, that that's where growth is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 um, discomfort is because you're getting you're you're experiencing something new, and that's a good thing. Um, and to to welcome that rather than to try to hide from it, and you'll lose the experience. You know, try to get as much out of it as you can. This is an opportunity. And try to get as much out of it as you can in terms of learning things. And it doesn't. Have, and honestly, my class, whatever I teach that here, I mean, learning what you what you're learning by being there for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think that's super important. Yeah, Professor Fagelson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for giving me your time. Um, I'm super excited that you're taking these kids abroad and that they're they're going to have this experience. It's amazing. Um, if people want to reach you or if they want to go on your study abroad program, they can find uh, your information at the UT website, right? Like they can find your email. Yeah. I'm in the directory at UT. Yeah. Is there anywhere else that you would like people to go, turn towards if they want to reach out to you? Um, that's probably the easiest. I'm not, you know, I'm in electrical and computer engineering, but I'm not a big <laughs> adopter of technology. So I'm on LinkedIn, but I actually, I have a LinkedIn account, but I never go on there. Um, gotcha. So that's probably the the best way. Uh, um, I have an Instagram account where I, that's mostly about my photography. Uh, and so awesome. I like, what is it? Uh, God, I don't even know. It's just B. Fagelson. Um, <laughs> gotcha. 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 And, uh, and one thing I really liked in Barcelona that I did a lot of was taking pictures of street art. And so I like that wherever I go. And so there's a lot of pictures of street art largely in Barcelona, but some in Paris there. And then, like I said, I do photography. So I post photos there. So I'll be posting. So I'll probably be posting photos from Denmark at some point there. <laughs> That'd awesome. be the only other thing. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Professor Fagelson. And to everyone listening, uh, we'll see you next time. Hey there. If you enjoyed this episode, well, green light. New episodes of The Dose of Caesar come out every week, so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe. If you want to connect with me, or if you just want some extra doses of Cesar, of Caesar, of Cesarine Bingui, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called The Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week. Or... You can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.